From the Twin Cities PBS archives, a conversation with Ricardo Levins Morales, originally broadcast in 1991. On this edition of Portrait, we'll talk with a man whose parents devoted their lives to political activism. He was born in Puerto Rico and moved to Chicago as a teenager. He's an artist, a community organizer, and a devoted dad. He co-founded the Northland Poster Collective and is active on the board of the Alliance for Cultural Democracy. Our guest is Ricardo Levins Morales. Ricardo, could you tell me a little bit about uh, yourself in terms of uh, where you were born and uh, how you arrived here in Minnesota? A little personal history. Sure. Well, I was born in a small rural hospital in the coffee-growing region of Puerto Rico. And I grew up there on a farm in the mountains. My parents ended up farming. Uh, They moved from the United States in the mid-50s. My mother was Puerto Rican. Uh, My father, um, Eastern European Jewish in New York. And they had been active in uh, radical political movements. And as a result, um, when they arrived in Puerto Rico, they were unable to find any work because the blacklist had been around. Mm -hmm. So they ended up getting this small farm way up in the mountains, a result of McCarthyist repression that I've never regretted personally. So that's where I was born, and that's where I grew up. Until about how old? Until I was about 12 years old. And then that, the next move was an, another result of, of the next wave of political repression in the late 60s when my father, who by then was teaching at the University of Puerto Rico, lost his job for being a supporter of Puerto Rican independence. Um, so I moved, was a teenager in Chicago, um, traveled in my late teens to New England, working in various mills and the like, until I ended up here Um, as a result of a trip that I took with friends uh, at a time when I knew I wanted to live in a smaller city than Boston. And I liked what I saw when I traveled through here in the summertime. I figured that a city that had a a bridge across the river just for bicycles couldn't be all bad. And it's a fairly clean city by North American standards. And so that's where I eventually decided to come. I was already uh, interested in doing silkscreen printing as a form of artwork and I needed to live in a community large enough to support that interest. Mm -hmm. How did you get into the arts? I guess I was one of the lucky people who was never taught to get out of them. Uh, My own observations are that children start out with a tremendous amount of creativity and very little timidity about doing art. Mm -hmm. They're certainly not doing it for an audience. Um, But Nonetheless, being part of those classrooms, even though I was getting praised, uh, was very disillusioning to me. And it was probably really um, the start of my own um, politicization in, in, as far as art and how art you know, exists in society began. How, could you elaborate on that? How does art exist in society? <laughs> well, it's basically seen as the terrain of a lucky few the people who have creativity, who we're told are born with it. And they are in touch somehow with the muse, whatever that is, that guides their hand and lets them do all kinds of wonderful creative things. And they're so wonderful and creative that we let them be a little bit eccentric on the side. It's kind of a whole social role that the artist plays. Mm -hmm. Whereas for the most part, people are... um, you'll learn that either you're an artist or you're not. If you're not, then you're a passive consumer of art. 
whether that be the fine arts that you know, certain classes of people get to see in museums, or the most prevalent form of artwork is commercial art, advertising is what the, the visual art that most people are exposed to, whether on television, billboards, or all the rest. And that's also the um, industry in which most people with any artistic skills are, are put to work, you know, if, if indeed they're lucky enough to, to work in the arts. And, and where do you see yourself in, this, in that cultural setting, or in it, or outside it, or, or around the periphery, or, or what are your interactions with them, mm -hmm. if any? Well, I guess I see myself as um, trying to create an alternative cultural space in, in our society, if, if I could, to be able to distribute through my work as an art distributor the artwork of communities and of people whose stories, whose visions don't get the airplay on the television, don't get into the galleries. Uh, worked to find ways in which their artwork and my own can reach also audiences who are not tuned in to the museums and the um, art centers that really reach a very few people. And part of that is encouraging people to have confidence in themselves and their own ability to express themselves. Given um, the current domestic situation in the United States where the poor are getting poor, where the lower middle class and the middle class are getting poor, where there is a greater division and, uh, between different social classes, and those divisions are becoming more and more rigidified. Um, do you think the, that the community of artists in this country are sufficiently responding to or sufficiently angry or outraged or making as strong a comment on um, what is going on in, in America in the end of the 20th century as perhaps they could be? Well, I think if you look, the greater you feel the urgency of the task, the more inadequate the response seems. So certainly, by the fact that we haven't yet found a solution, you could say, well, we haven't tried enough and we haven't done enough. I do believe that it's starting to happen more. And I For think- For instance? Well, I would say that perhaps the best measure of that is the attention being paid to the arts by some of the political powers that be, the controversy over censorship, the desire to have greater and tighter control over the arts, the uh, decision you know, a few years ago at a conference of military leaders from the Americas um, who identified culture and the arts as the main source of danger, uh, of subversion. Military leaders of the Americas, meaning North meaning, and South? Yeah. And Amilcar Cabral, who was an African nationalist leader in the, the mid-20th century, um, described culture once as being the collective personality of a people. And I like that analogy and think that if that's the case, then the arts are kind of like our collective dream life. The arts are where what's going on under the surface gets expressed. And you know, I know that if there's something that I'm really uncomfortable in my life, something that I'm avoiding, I just don't want to think about because it's too difficult, chances are I'm going to dream about it. I'm going to have to confront it in my dreams. And I think the arts um, naturally tend to play that role. And so the greater, the more a society has to hide from itself, the more that it doesn't want to deal with, the more and tighter control it's going to want to have of its artists.
through their education, through what can be published, through what can be funded. You know, in this country, there's, I think you're right, there's only a certain amount of artwork that is widely disseminated that's truly challenging, in part because the art education that artists go through discourages that. Mm -hmm. What's the difference in your mind between the terms multiculturalism and cultural democracy, and why should we care about those distinctions? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's important to be clear about the ideas. Um, I'm not one to be obsessed with the phrases. So if we can understand what we're talking about, it's not as major mm -hmm. a concern. Um, I think that multiculturalism, which is being bandied about a lot now, has to do with the growing awareness that people of color, which is to say people not of, of non-European descent, are an increasing part of the U.S. population and someday in the not too distant future will probably be a majority. And that's being dealt with you know, in, in many circles with alarm. Um, you know, and you see these seminars for business people about how to manage a multicultural workforce. And you know, likewise in education and so forth. And in the arts. And it's, I guess, being taken as a form of management. How can we deal with a culturally diverse population, audience, workforce, without really changing who we are very much? So that you get arts funding that now has multicultural criteria. In order to get funding, you have to show that you're multicultural, which means that a major arts institution that's always been well-funded can put on uh, can get some people of color on their staff or put on a show with some black and Indian and Asian Latino artists, um, do some publicity to that community. Whereas the um, Indian, American Indian uh, community theater group or the Latina printmaking um, group or the local um, art gallery in the black community will still not be funded because they're dealing with a particular community, and they're not multicultural. They're meeting the needs of a particular community. Cultural democracy speaks to the right of every community to have its own cultural voice, to have its own way of telling its own story, its own way of reaching its own people. Um, so multicultural may be sometimes used in a way that can benefit that, but very often it's used in a way of maintaining the status quo, changing the color a little bit on mm -hmm. the presentations, but not saying, how is it that we can change our relationship to the community? Not all mm -hmm. communities, not all people, not all cultures have a history of a museum as a house of fine art that you go to mm -hmm. to see great art. Mm -hmm. There are communities in which art is a much more dynamic part of the daily life. I don't see museums asking, how can we become a part of that? How can we learn from that? They simply say, how can we take an artist from that community and frame their stuff and put it on a wall? and get that grant from mm -hmm. the NEA. Mm -hmm. How would you characterize your own work, uh, the prints and the posters that you make in terms of the dreams that are being expressed through your work? Well, I find, um, and this is not so much co conscious choice, it's simply looking at the art that I produce mm -hmm. and, and seeing what it looks like. I, my own artwork is um, largely storytelling, I guess, and not necessarily my own story. I've always loved listening to stories, and I discovered that when I look back at my own artwork, that often they re reflect other people's lives, um, other people's stories, 
Uh, I try to do things if I'm um, doing a print that has to do with uh, the people of another country, say, to get enough understanding that someone from that country would, would look at it and think home. They would recognize themselves and their culture enough that this would feel comfortable to them, would feel like something that's theirs. In order to do that, of course, I need to learn a lot about people different from myself. Mm -hmm. And again, that's another way in which artwork is very enriching to me. It means that I have to go, I have to listen, hear other people's stories, find ways of expressing that that is respectful, that shows the, the dignity of whoever I'm depicting. And that's the bottom line for me because I think that dignity exists in everybody. And it's simply, you know, finding the way to let that show through. Well, Ricardo Levens Morales, I'd like to thank you very, very much for being with us tonight on Portrait. Thank you. Funding for this TPT archival podcast was made possible by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.